0: Support for this podcast comes from Troy University, dedicated to teaching a new generation to lead change. Information on leadership opportunities available to students from day 1 is at troy.edu/leadchange.
1: From Troy Public Radio, this is the Storyline book series from In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutcheson. The American chestnut tree witnessed the unfolding of history in the eastern United States. But today, the gigantic tree with its snow-white blossoms is missing from the landscape. To tell us what happened, independent scholar Donald Davis joins us by Skype from Delhi, India. The Georgian native spent a decade researching the story for his book, The American Chestnut, An Environmental History. Donald Davis, independent scholar and former Fulbright Fellow, thank you so much for joining us by Skype from Delhi, India.
0: Great to be with you.
1: Donald, you're a researcher at the Harvard Forest. What is the Harvard Forest?
0: The Harvard Forest is a, a division of Harvard University. It has a campus in uh, Petersham, um, Massachusetts, which is in the western part of the state. And they've been uh, studying the forest there for decades and decades and uh, have a, an entire team of professors who who are trying to understand how climate change and how human impacts the forest in the eastern United States. So I have been working with them on a project that involves um, looking at the
1: impact of past climate events on eastern forest. And you're in India for what reason? Currently
0: I'm uh, accompanying my wife who is a compliance officer for the World Health Organization and she is uh, working here in Delhi and I'm with her to give her um, moral support.
1: Well, Donald, I want to acknowledge your book, The American Chestnut and Environmental History. This is one of the most important books I have ever read.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for those wonderful comments. This was a labor of love. It took me more than a decade to write and uh, research this book.
1: The American Chestnut has been such a mystery, and the unusual thing about your book is that you tie it to human history in the United States. For instance, this week, there was a historic meeting that you talk about in your book that happened on October 28, 1540. What was that?
0: Yes, and in October 28, 1540, De Soto and his entourage, they were traveling through Alabama, and they stopped to rest, and they were given uh, chestnut bread by uh, messengers from the chieftain of Mubalaam. This is probably the very first uh, use or the very first time that we see the term chestnut bread mentioned in any historical document. So Alabama has played an important role in teaching us about the uh, American chestnut tree in times past.
1: Also in the book, you talk about later on in the 1770s, the presence of chestnut trees was corroborated by the naturalist, William Bartram, who came through the southeast. So what did the tree look like and how did we lose it?
0: Well, the tree was one of the larger trees in the eastern United States in places like the Great Smoky Mountains. It grew to be seven, eight, nine, even 10 feet in diameter. So it's a large tree. It grew to be 110, 120 feet in height. The bark was kind of fissured, uh, sort of grayish-brown. The trees tended to grow very straight, very true. In fact, because of that, they were used considerably in the late 1800s for telegraph poles and telephone poles. So very tall trees, very straight trees. And of course, what made the trees unique was the beautiful blossom that you would uh, witness in the late spring, early summer, depending upon where you live in the United States, but certainly in um, Alabama and Georgia, you would see by... Late June, the wonderful chestnut blossom, the trees uh, had long, white catkins, some 11, 12 inches in length, and they literally made entire hillsides white as if there was snow on the mountains even in the summertime. So a lot of place names, White Top Mountain, Yellow Top Mountain that you find across the East United States was named after the prolific chestnut blossom that everyone witnessed each year. The leaves were sort of a standard green. However, in the fall, the leaves turned a beautiful brassy golden color, uh, sort of tinged with a little orange and red, but for the most part, they had a kind of a golden brassy look. So even in the fall, we were aware of the chestnut because of its beautiful coloration.
1: Fast forward to 1904, and on page 32... There was something that happened at the New York Zoological Park. What happened there? There were some chestnut trees, but what was going on with them?
0: Yes, there was uh, many uh, chestnut trees, literally hundreds of chestnut trees. And landscapers there, the workers there, noticed some trees dying of sort of some unknown fungus or some unknown disease. And they asked William Murrell, who worked next door at the New York Botanical Garden to come check out the trees. He did, he uh, suggested they spray them with a fungicide. He believed it was a type of fungus. He took samples back to his sort of laboratory at the Botanical Garden. And the following year, the trees continued dying. He proclaimed that this was an unknown fungus and that they should monitor the trees carefully. And kind of the rest is history from 1904 to 1910. Almost all the trees in the New York City area began dying, spread fairly rapidly in the Northeast. And of course, by the 1930s, it had reached Georgia and Alabama. And you could argue that by the 1940s, nearly every chestnut tree in the eastern United States was dead as a result of the blight. Now, I shouldn't say that to suggest that there weren't any living chestnut trees left, but for the most part, the trees were functionally extinct, meaning they no longer reproduced after that point. However, we do see literally millions of chestnut trees sprouting from the stumps. Those trees almost never get more than uh, 8, 9, 10 feet in height. They again get the blight. They again die back. That's why we uh, cannot say there are no more chestnut trees in the forest because there are literally millions of them, but they do not reproduce. Therefore, we refer to the American chestnut as a functionally extinct species.
1: So, Donald, you seem to be leaving us with a big question. Can the American chestnut be brought back? I take it you are monitoring the research and you can tell us that answer during our next visit. So I want to thank you for joining us by Skype right now from Delhi, India, and I will look forward to finding these answers on our next visit. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it.
1: Joining us by Skype was independent scholar Donald Davis, author of the book The American Chestnut and Environmental History. The question remains, can the American chestnut be brought back from the edge of extinction? As Donald Davis monitors the research, he will answer that question in a future visit. Thanks for joining us today for the storyline from In Focus, which is a podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.